Looking for your next TV show or movie to binge? Well, buckle up, grab the remote, and settle into your couch for this special edition of Crossing the Streams. We're here to help you tune in and get the most out of those 50 monthly streaming channels you're currently paying for. So without any further ado, here's your host of Crossing the Streams, Jeff Dwoskin. It is I, Jeff Duoskin, your host of Crossing the Streams and, of course, Classic Conversations. Welcome to our bonus episode. I love the bonus episodes. We pull segments from our live show that we do every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. You can watch on Facebook or YouTube or Twitter. Link in the show notes. We talk about TV shows that you should be binging. We have over 85 hours of TV binge-watching suggestions awaiting you on YouTube this bonus episode. So in case you just don't want to go anywhere, we're feeding three of those right into your ears from three of the different shows from episode 40, 53, and 83 coming at you. We got Toast of London. We've got R.I.P. Marvin Hagler, Boxing's Greatest Warrior, and Station Eleven. Each one of these segments pulled from the live show. You can go listen to the whole show on YouTube, and you're welcome to join us. What is Crossing the Streams? We are here to answer the universal question What should I be binging next? I just finished something, I need something else. You have come to the right place. Kick things off with Brian Green, all the way back from episode 40 of Crossing the Streams, Toast of London. Brian loves the British comedies. You'll love Brian's podcast, The Commercial Break, as well. Here's Brian. He's going to take us through it. Let's talk about <laughs> Toast of London. <laughs> you got to be picking on me, man. <laughs> Toast of London. Yeah, so uh, Toast of London is a show that I, I started watching, I don't know, maybe about a month and a half ago. It's written by Matt Berry, who you may know from IT Crowd or currently What We Do in the Shadows, which is an FX show based about vampires who live in Staten Island. And Matt Berry is a British comic who wrote a television show about kind of a self-aggrandizing actor in London who runs around to various auditions trying to get various parts that he's clearly not qualified for and ended up taking kind of second-rate jobs everywhere, including a lot of voiceover acting where he's just made fun of constantly. He he likens himself to a, a, a coxman, but he's really not. And so he ends up kind of, you know, stepping all over himself when he's trying to get with the ladies. And he's got a, a cast of characters around him that I just think is is second to none. Listen, it's it's British humor, no doubt. It's absurd, no doubt. Oftentimes he breaks out into song for no particular reason, like an actual song, like the music starts playing. He's in a music video. All of a sudden there's a song that almost seems like they're trying to be serious. Like the song is not funny. It's not some kind of improv comedy. It's a serious song that he's now singing for three and a half minutes during the episode. But each episode lives on its own. You don't necessarily need to see the last one to see the next one. He's got to a counterpart that is he calls him Ray fucking Purchase who's like the other <laughs> actor who doesn't really you know who thinks too much of himself and runs around and they oftentimes battle for parts each episode to me is it was I just found it ball bustingly funny I am a big fan of British humor, first of all. Second of all, mm -hmm. I'm a huge fan of those kind of Michael Scott type characters, those Dwight Schrute type characters who are just, they think they're more than they really are. And they, despite all credible evidence to the contrary, <laughs> they just keep going with their own opinion of themselves, even when people are clearly telling them that that's different. And I think it's so well played by Matt Berry. And there are laugh out loud moments. I think 
I think every five to 10 minutes in these episodes. Mm. And so for me, in a very serious time, you know, the pandemic and, and everything that's going on, right? All of us are stress, stressed out and, and things are stressful. I found this to be a fresh air uh, on a nightly basis. I would watch an episode or two before I went to bed. The whole, after a few episodes, I think when they get into season two, there's four seasons, started in 2012. It was on uh, BBC and then it went to Sky and then it came over to Netflix. I think it's actually ending on Netflix soon and then it's going to be with IFC. But around like the end of the first season, beginning of the second season, each episode begins with, with the character Toast, Stephen Toast, inside of a audio booth doing some kind of doing some kind of recording for voice voiceover work, right? And so one of the episodes one of the episodes starts and he goes, the end. And then there's someone on the other end, and then there's two young guys on the end of the glass, right? And the guy, the guy goes, it's, you know, he looks over and then he the kids are talking behind the glass so they can't hear him. Then he presses the button and he goes, Steven, we like that. We like that take. We're just wondering if you could do it, I don't know, maybe a little less energy. And he's like the end. So this goes on for like two minutes and he ends up screaming the end like a million times. But I, I don't know, the bravado of the character and the totally unnuanced way that he plays it is just really laugh out loud funny. And I think anybody who has an opportunity to watch it, who has, you know, 27 minutes to catch up and, and get a good giggle, this is the show for you. And listen, I have a podcast that also deals with kind of absurd, ridiculous um, humor. So I'm attracted to that kind of television show. <laughs> uh, but Toast apparently has done very well on Netflix. Oh, Ball Bus, yeah. And, <laughs> and I think that, uh, I think it's a great show. And oh, right. and so what I wanted to say was, uh, I lost my train of thought. What I wanted to say was, they now have a YouTube channel that is dedicated to Stephen Toast's voiceover work. So there's a YouTube channel where it's just purely audio and it's new. It's essentially their new episodes of Stephen Toast, but now they're just on YouTube as the audio st uh, version of what he was doing inside of those booths. And, <laughs> and I can't wait to catch up on it. I just read about it today and I think it's going to be really funny. The end. That's cool. And you definitely going to have to you, check it out. You got a Casey Ryan plot convinced. So that's can't get nice. He that. liked my alliteration of ball bustingly British humor. Yeah, and brilliant. Uh, Brian, uh, did you by chance, um, I did a review several episodes back about uh, Frank of Ireland on, on Amazon on Prime. Uh, have you have you caught that show yet? No, but someone sent that to me, believing that it was my type of comedy. They sent it to I, well, me. I just haven't had a chance to watch it yet. That's exactly why I brought it up, because I based on everything you just said, I think it's right up your alley with, with the kind of insane silliness of British humor. I, I think yeah. you would like Frank of Ireland. So, okay, I'm going to yeah, check this, it out. Because I'm, I'm done with, I'm done with toast. Yeah, I'm toast yeah. with toast. I like Monty Python and Kath and Kim. And I like a lot of those kind of, you know, off kilter, ridiculous comedies. It, for me, it just turns my brain off, you know, in, in a world that's very serious. I like the to world. do that in that way. Did in you a ever see that's did, very serious? Did you ever see uh, John Cleese's funeral speech of um, I forget uh, which Monty Python member died? Uh, oh, I gosh, did. I know. Who you, I forgot I who the member is, but I did. Yeah, I mean, he just he just slayed as a stand up at, at, at a funeral. <laughs> I mean, just mm. people were crying tears of, of, of laughter uh, at this. And it's just only as only the British could do it at a at a funeral like that. And, and it's I, certainly John Cleese. Is, I think the only other eulogy that I've heard that would be close to as funny is Howard Stern's eulogy of Joan Rivers, which starts off with a joke that is way too racy to say here. Um, but it was good. It was 15 minutes of 
pure comedy. I'll have to look for that. I will. I will say I got some good laughs when I did the eulogy for my dad's funeral. Jeff, you did. Did you, did you actually, make it funny? It was funny. Yeah, and it was probably the biggest crowd I ever played to. There were literally fifteen hundred people there. I remember walking up, and it was it was hot. It was <laughs> I know hot. what you're gonna say. <laughs> I walk up and I turn to the the guy who runs the funeral. I go, "What? We didn't pay for the air conditioning package," and <laughs> and like everyone laughed. So that kind of just opened the door, right? And it was I just it was anyway. I don't want to go, but like, uh, but yeah, that's that's great. It's the best time. That's when people want to laugh. I know firsthand people came up to me and they're like, it helped us get through it, you know? So nobody wants to hear the sad, generic stories. My question is, though, did you get 50% of the door? (laughs) 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 All right, Brian Green and Toast of London. Also, Frank of Ireland was discussed. So if you love the British humor, you can tune in for those. Check those out. Let us know what you think. Next up is Station Eleven. This one's a little different. Ron sometimes brings reviews of shows that he isn't fully endorsing. So he's going to discuss it. And then we want to hear your opinion of it later on the Twitter or other socials. In the meantime, here's Station Eleven and Ron. Take it away. With Ron (laughs) and Station Eleven. Station Eleven. Now, I will just say, this was a recommendation from my wife five years ago or six years ago as a book. And apparently this was a New York Times bestseller for a while. And it chronicles a post-apocalyptic world, uh, ironically, from a flu bug. Granted, this was written six years ago, so this is not COVID-related, but wow, does this sting of COVID when, when you watch the uh, the miniseries. And it, it is it is interesting. It is a limited series on HBO Max. It's it's eight episodes. It stars a bunch of folks that um, who you don't know. And that's actually a good thing. It's a lot of Canadian and European actors. The one uh, name you will know is uh, Himesh Patel, who uh, I loved in the movie Yesterday. If you guys have seen Yesterday, he was uh, yep. the yeah, yeah, yeah. The lead in that role, and he does a great job as an American kind of loser who is, uh, I would say, kind of the the lead supporting actor uh, in the show. So now that I've kind of set that all up, again, post-apocalyptic, the the show starts off as a um, as a explanation of how a young girl who is part of an acting troupe becomes homeless. And then, uh, you know, uh, taken in by Himesh Patel and then becomes the lead person in a traveling acting troupe in the post-apocalyptic world 20 years later. And that may sound like an interesting thing. And I'm here to tell you now four episodes in, I'm tapping out. <laughs> this is wow. my negative review of Station Eleven because I've given this up. Ep- I've given this show four full episodes to finally have a payoff and to take me somewhere that I was excited to go that just isn't yet another dystopia bullshit show uh, that doesn't really go anywhere. And I'm here to tell you that's exactly what this show is, at least four episodes in. So I, I don't have a lot to uh, recommend about this show. The acting is okay. The production is obviously uh, HBO seems to have put a bunch of money into this. So, but I'm not seeing a lot of it in marketing. I'm not, it's not in my algorithm. I, I had to seek it out to find it based on, again on the recommendation from my wife. It's just, there's just not a lot there. So I, you know, I'm sure the second half of the season, you know, episodes five through eight, which again, I am not going to be watching. I'm sure they're probably going to take you somewhere. And I'm sure there's going to be some kind of conclusion that may have allowed this to have been worth it and made, you know, giving you the payoff you're looking for. But this is yet another example about how shows, they've got to 
draw you in and pull you along before four episodes. You've got to you've got to really like it an episode or two at the most to really start to root for people or to enjoy the theme or to at least get a sense for where it's going. And this isn't doing any of that for me. And so because of that, I I am going to tap out of the show. And uh, for that reason, I'm not going to recommend Station Eleven and HBO Max. And that, my friends, is the entirety of my review. It's it's interesting because... uh... It's the opposite on Rotten Tomatoes from what Red Notice that Jeff did last week is. It's 97% by critics, but the audience is 66%. Yeah. So critics loving a a, a weird, artsy, well-shot piece, but audiences tapping out like you yeah it's it is beautiful i'll I'll say that and and that does allow you to stick around for a little bit uh and i think the the themes are interesting but they don't follow up on any of it and they don't make it any more compelling it's just you know it's like i said it's just proof that they've got to draw you in in some way and take you on a story that you're interested in rooting for and there's nobody i'm rooting for in this story and there it is gotcha that's unfortunate. What other shows have you guys been watching that you tapped out of? I, I got it. I'll add the morning show season two to this list of shows to avoid. I, uh, I love I, season one, to be clear. Season two, I thought they're like, oh, I guess it was so popular. We have all these big names. We might as well do a season two. It's just it was. Yeah. Jerry, Jerry just brought up a, a, a comment. I don't know if you want to throw that up or not, but uh, about, uh, you know, HBO throwing away money and, and you know, canceling their Game of Thrones uh, prequel, which I did hear about. They spent 30 million bucks on that episode just to throw it away, which I have to say on some level, I kind of give them credit for to be able to walk away from a $30 million investment just because you recognize it sucks. I think that I think that's very professional. Of them. I think I mentioned this to you and, and a little trivia for Jerry, if he doesn't know it. I think Ron and I, we might have talked about this as the, the pilot of Game of Thrones that we know and love today is not the original pilot. They also shot that's right pilot and threw it out. Threw it out. And even had different actors and at least yeah. actresses. Uh, yeah. Mother of Dragons was different. I think uh, Mrs. Dark was uh, was different. They will throw stuff out. So Jeff, just to, just to answer your question, I I ended up tapping out of The Handmaid's Tale after season two. Uh, it just got stupid and uh, it didn't hold my attention any longer, but I'm sure there's probably better examples that you guys probably think. I, I tapped out. I mean, I know it's a famous show, but I tapped out of Dexter. I couldn't watch yeah. like nine yeah. or whatever seasons it did. I just, I, I think after Lithgo or whatever, I just lost interest. Yeah. It started jumping the shark, didn't it, Sally? It started jumping the shark. I always tell people for Dexter, if you stop at the end of season four, that's the Lithgow season at the end of that season it's the perfect show because the end of that is the big is a you know it's a big deal and then they get lazy towards the end i remember watching that back to back with the uh end of breaking bad and thinking how lazy Dexter mm-hmm. was getting with everything. It was just, yeah, we're breaking yeah. bad. You couldn't wait for the end, obviously. Yeah. Sopranos and all that kind of stuff. I just yeah. uh, I got so excited that uh, it within the last week or two that uh, previews on HBO for the second season of the Righteous Gemstones, mm. um, which it's and then it reminded me that I tapped out of that in the middle of the first season. It's such a good cast. You know, John Goodman, Danny McBride, and uh, what's his name from uh, Pitch Perfect, and other folks that are just incredible. All the Danny McBride shows on HBO, Eastbound and Down, and then uh, what was the uh, 
the other one in the school uh, where he was the principal. Oh, the uh, principal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vice principal, is that the name? Of the show? I think so. Yeah. He's great, but that show is just terrible. Bored the shit out of me. And now it looks like, like the previews look like they're trying so hard. And plus, with this new season, it was like, who's going to su- succeed? John Goodman. I'm like, you right. already have a show with this plot. Succession. <laughs> All right. Well, those are good shows. All right. So the beauty of this is uh, we're trying to save you time, too, so you can focus on the other ones to watch. All right. Ron made it to episode four. Anyone out there who's seen more than that, the full picture, let us know if it's something we need to reinvestigate. And if there's other shows that you bailed on, we'd want to hear about those as well. Join in on the conversation. Hashtag classic conversations. Hashtag crossing the streams on Twitter. All right, we got one more for you. Bob Phillips brings an amazing point of view to the show with his boxing documentaries. This is Marvin Hagler, RIP, boxing's greatest warrior. I love hearing Bob talk about boxing and these documentaries. Always fascinating. Take it away, Bob. Bob Phillips going where he loves best, matching Larry, passion for passion with Marvin (laughs) Hagler, RIP, boxing's greatest warrior. Yes. Marvelous Marvin Hagler. This is a great uh, documentary. It's only like 45 minutes long. You can catch it on YouTube. All of the uh, the highlights of his life and his career. The, the thing that I loved about Marvin Hagler was that he always showed up in unbelievable shape, gave every fight his all. He, you know, his, his story is a lot like some of the ones that I've talked about here before. Born and uh, it grows up in near poverty and sees a way out by getting into boxing. You know, I won't uh, talk too much about that, but uh, he uh, uh, hooked up with a couple of uh, Italian businessmen in uh, Brockton, Massachusetts. Goody and, uh, was it Leo Petronelli? I forget the the other uh, brother. But anyway, they um, took him under their wing and promoted him. And he was so good, he couldn't get a shot at the title because everybody was afraid they were going to lose to him. So everybody avoided him. And that was back in the day when you could do that. You shut people aside. But now social media, you know, everybody's calling out everybody else. It's become rather shrill. He uh, he finally got uh, Joe, Joe Frazier took him aside and said, look, you're not going to get a shot at the title for a while, while for three reasons. You're black, you're a southpaw and you're really good. And nobody wants to fight that guy. So he got he got a shot with a guy named Mustafa Hamsho, who was kind of an afterthought in, in all of this. But uh, he beat Hamsho, but they gave the decision to Hamsho. Hagler's career, his whole existence in bo- the boxing world was marked by disrespect until he won the title, went over to London, beat the brakes off a guy named Alan Minner. Uh, and while he's trying to celebrate in the ring, they won't even let him put the belt on because people are throwing things in the ring. How dare this black guy come over and take the title from our beloved uh, Alan Minner? So anyway, he comes back to the States. He carves out a career for, for himself. The most boring era of excellence in the middleweight division. He's one of the top five guys of, of all time, if you ask me. And he just keeps beating guys and beating guys and beating guys. People know that he's good, but he can't get the big fight. You know, Leonard won't fight him. He doesn't have an Olympic career to go, fall back on. He had a 55-1 and one amateur career, 
and even the one that he supposedly lost, there's that's you know debatable. He was just so good that you just got used to seeing him and going, yeah, okay, he's going to win. You know, he was he was like Tyson before there was Tyson. Then uh, the when I did this one, I guess six months ago or maybe longer than that about the three kings, you know, uh, the four kings boxing in the eighties: Duran, Leonard, Hearns, and Hagler. Well, these guys started to fight each other, so. Duran comes up from lightweight and decides to fight Hagler at middleweight. And everybody's going, dude, Duran's a lightweight. You, 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 you should mop the floor with him. Well, he doesn't. Duran gives him hell, but Hagler wins the fight anyway. Still no respect. He's still making decent money, but nothing like Leonard, nothing like Hearns. Well, then he finally gets to fight Hearns. And we know what happened there. The They call it the best three rounds in boxing history. Yeah. I'm going to disagree with that. It's the best first round, the best round in boxing Agreed. history. Agreed. Yeah. And uh, so then, then everybody's like, "Ooh, okay, this is you know, the casual fan is now tuned into Marvin Hagler." Well, he still can't get any respect because he keeps wanting to, you know, have people call him marvelous Marvin Hagler, and they won't. They won't say it in his in, his, in the promotions. They won't say it on TV. So he literally goes to court and legally changes his name to Marvelous Marvin Hagler. So they have to call him that. So it's it's just a strange thing to me looking back on that. How he was well, he was revered later on. The guy held the the middleweight title for seven years. Seven years. I mean, that's unheard of. You know, guys hold a belt for a year, maybe two, two, three fights. He just kept knocking guys out. Whatever they put in front of him, he beat them. And then he finally, he finally gets the big money fight with Sugar Ray Leonard, the thing he always wanted because he couldn't stand Leonard. Leonard had all the things that he didn't have when he was coming up, the Olympic fame, the endorsements and everything. And Hagler was just sort of unto himself. So he finally gets the fight with Hagler in 19, or excuse me, with Leonard in 1986 and he loses, (laughs) but he doesn't lose. He beat, he beat Leonard, but Leonard employed this strategy that he had done before in other fights where the last 30 seconds he would go in and rat a tat tat flurry, bounce a bunch of punches off Marvin's dome and would steal the round. So he's had enough at that point. He's just had enough of the disrespect. He's had enough of everybody getting the big, you know, the all, all the uh, the accolades. So he says, I'm out of here. He literally leaves. He, he moves to Italy and becomes an actor, lives in Milan. <laughs> And and never comes back for, I think, my God, I don't know, it was 20 years, something like that. Didn't want to come to Vegas to to be a part of any other fights. Just had just had, had enough. It said, I'm, I'm making a ton of money over here. I'm, he was like uh, doing spaghetti west. I don't even know what he did. Eventually, he he did come back and kind of you know bury the hatchet with Sugar Ray. Everybody now realizes what a, an awesome fighter he was. And then, unfortunately, he passed a year ago, not quite a year ago. Uh, there was some kind of uh, thought that he might have died of COVID. They did not prove that one way or another. I think it was a heart attack. Uh, but then, of course, when he dies, the whole boxing world comes out and says, oh, my God, can't believe we had this guy in our midst and we didn't know it. We didn't know what we had. And so if you look back on his career, if you're a boxing fan or even a casual boxing fan, you just think, my Lord, they, they, he just beat everybody everybody they put in front of him. And that's all you can ask from a fighter. And he did it. uh, He did it with grace. He did it with, he didn't lip off. He just did his job. So that was Marvin Hagler. Yeah. The the relationship between those two or the, um, the scenario with Leonard and Hagler was very, very similar. 
on a smaller scale to Ali and Frazier. Frazier was a, a hero of the black community. Ali was a hero of everybody. Uh, sorry, it was in reverse. Um, yep, I know what uh, you're saying. Yeah, yeah. One My mom had all the... The yeah. jazz behind him. Yeah, and and uh, Leonard was Leonard was very flashy, and uh, you know used that to his advantage, and got bigger paydays, got those kind of things. I'll tell you, one of the best fights I ever saw in my life was uh, during that run with Hagler as uh, as middleweight champ was. One of the most brutal fights I ever saw was him against John the Beast Mugabe. Oh, uh, when those fight. two guys just pounded each other for yeah. twelve, it's, fifteen rounds. At yeah, the time. that was a good one. Yeah, crazy. I think this whole thing would have been better if it went off like Jeff said. Jeff, very badly at the beginning, wanted to say Marvelous Marvin Hamlish. (laughs) (laughs) He did. My mother called him Marvin Haglish. He he very badly wanted to say Marvin (laughs) Hamlish. And if you listen back to the show, you will hear it too. Everybody's got to watch it in replays now. Uh, oh, man. Too fine. When he went to Italy, he was starring in movies, right? Yeah. Uh, and I yeah. don't. I'm pretty sure they were ninja movies. Were they? <laughs> uh, last Probably. thing I'll say about it, uh, it the, in the fight with Leonard, which proved to be his last fight, he was so frustrated with that that tactic that Leonard would you know employ. And then he would dance for the other two and a half minutes. And uh, Hagler stood in the center of the ring and said, fight me, you little bitch. <laughs> and they got it they got it on the mic leonard used that same tactic in the second hearns fight uh yep. which all of us especially being detroiters um yeah. firmly believe there's no question hearns won that fight he won that fight yeah he clearly won that fight but it was the same thing he he flurried late in rounds yep. that gave him rounds that were really dominated otherwise by Hearns. So, uh, but Hagler was a great fighter. So straightforward, just to come, come straight ahead. Uh, I mean, a good boxer and a great slugger, but just uh, one of those guys that just showed up to fight pure and simple. Every time. Yeah. And I, I love watching his fight. That was the, obviously the era that I too was a, a huge boxing fan. And I love watching Hagler fight. Bob, every time you do a boxing thing, it just, it makes me realize when I, I'm missing out on something here. <laughs> All right. That's three great ones. Great job, Bob. That's Marvin Hagler, RIP, Boxing's Greatest Warrior. We talked about Toast of London and Station Eleven. A little controversial on Station Eleven. We want to hear about it. Tell us also what shows you bailed on when we were talking during that segment we were talking about a we were talking about an abandoned game of thrones prequel house of dragon has come out so i think there was another one that we that at the time that did get canceled and house of dragon went for anyway that one's supposed to be great well i'm sure we'll talk about it on a future episode anyway you got toast of london marvin Hagler, station 11 to decide on go grab your remote drop yourself on your favorite location on your couch Cross your own streams, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this special edition of Crossing the Streams. Visit us on YouTube for full episodes and catch us live every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Now turn this off and go watch some TV. And don't forget to tell your family you'll be busy for a while.